What's going on guys? Welcome back to the show. Today I'm sitting with Tom Robertson and instead of giving you my version of his bio, I'm going to read you his bio right off the form here. Uh, Tom is a personal trainer and strength conditioning coach and has been since 2003. He's a former gym owner turned international man of mystery, gym addict, nutrition geek, digital marketer, world traveling bearded food lover, who while not doing his main job of offensive coordinator at Train for Warriors, makes evidence-based memes to educate and entertain Instagram users. And that's the truth. That's how I found Tom. He's got a really hysterical meme page. But if that's where it ended, if he just had a funny meme page, I wouldn't be having him on the podcast. He's a really smart dude. And there's something to be said about actually reading the research, being evidence-based, and being able to disseminate that information, the information from the studies, the studies that a lot of people aren't going to take the trouble to read, take the time to read, and disseminate them in a way, and both that's, you know, has some humor, um, is understandable and really applicable. And so I think he does that uniquely well, has some strong opinions, a really funny dude. And so I know you guys are going to love this conversation. We're going to talk about unpopular opinions and some bold statements. We're going to make some bold claims, some unpopular opinions, and we're going to try and break them down and see where they hold up. We're also going to play a little bit of rapid fire, overrated, underrated, where I'm going to ask Tom certain things in the fitness industry that he thinks may, may be over or underrated. And we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit more. I know you guys are going to love the episode. Tom's a really funny dude. Um, yeah, I know he's got a really strong Scottish uh, Scottish accent, but let's see if we can get that translated for you guys. All right. So I know you'll love the episode. Enjoy. Tom, what's going on, man? Good to have you here. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Happy to be here. Yeah. Appreciate you coming uh, coming on. Tell me, uh, you know, so where you're in Costa Rica right now, how's everything with the pandemic? Um, It's it's here like everywhere else. It, it seems to have been everyone's for the most part everything is relatively open and quasi back to normal with restrictions. But uh, yeah, it's um, not, we're not as badly affected as other countries for sure. Yeah. That, make, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense for, um, for those of the listeners who don't necessarily follow you on social media, tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry. How did you get where you are and maybe a, a little evolution of, of, of where you've been and where you are now? Sure. Um, well, it's been a while because I'm old. <laughs> so back in, I finished university back in 2003 after studying sports science and then strength and conditioning. And then I did a, a, a British qualification to become a personal trainer. And I went freelance immediately, uh, working for a big health, big box health chain. Um, and I did that for that must have been eight eight years. I was a freelance trainer working one on one with clients, continually doing CPDs and education and learning more. And then I got into more into strength and conditioning. And I did my UK equivalent of the CSCS. And then I did the CSCS itself because I had aspirations to go and live and move and work in the US. Um, and then I did the uh, then I became, I got into uh, Olympic lifting, became a certified Olympic weightlifting coach. And I was competing in weightlifting, switched to powerlifting, all this time still working as a one-on-one -on -one trainer. Um, and then one day my, the, the gym I worked in decided they were closing. They gave us all 30 days notice. So at that point I then decided that I don't want this to happen again. I'm going to open my own gym. So I did that back home in Edinburgh, Scotland. I opened my own gym, ran that for close to four years. Um, and eventually decided I didn't want to, it was a, something that we'd taken on that was maybe not what I 
thought through as much as I should have and I decided that I didn't really want to be a gym owner anymore. So at that point was 2012, I decided to get out of the gym ownership and I basically sold everything off, had someone buy my lease, got rid of all the equipment. And then I transitioned in 2012 fully online. Um, I moved all my personal training clients to online coaching clients. And this is back when, you know, the social media wasn't as big as it is now. So it was all, it was all very much in-person people. I knew I transitioned to online because my, my goal was to be free in terms of location with the gym for four years. I didn't go anywhere other than like a one mile radius of the gym and my house. And yep. it kind of, so my goal was to be location independent. So 2012, I transitioned online started building my own business, my own brand. 2013, a good friend of mine at the time, Martin Rooney came along and who owns Training for Warriors company. Yep. And he essentially said, everything that you're doing with transitioning online, can you just come and do it for Training for Warriors? I said, yes. And I've been doing that for the past eight years, basically. So, and in terms of that is basically um, building online courses, which are for personal trainers, gym owners, fitness professionals as continued professional development. So how is it different from lift the bar? It's similar, similar, but with Martin's philosophy and the training for warriors philosophy, but yeah, online courses and yeah. education for, yeah. you know, trainers to, to, to go through basically. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, I've heard, I Martin. guess the difference is the, the difference of the training for warriors is there's also a business opportunity license in that you can open up, TFW location. So like similar to a franchise, but not a franchise, a licensing opportunity. So we have 200 TFW locations in 30 different countries. So that, that I guess is the difference in terms of the structure of the businesses. Cool. A little bit different. Yeah. No, I've heard Martin on some, on some podcasts before. Seems like a super smart dude. So hopefully you've picked yeah. up, hopefully, hopefully you're half the man. He hopefully is. some no, of it rubbed off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So funny. We were, we were just talking before you, before we hit record here is like, I was thinking, okay, I, I always have like a little part of my notes that says like, why did I have this person on? And I was like, guy makes fucking hysterical memes. And like, it's 2020, man. I picked like a, like I'm having somebody, and obviously you're more than that. Obviously I wrote more, way more than that, but like it comes down to it. It's like, there's some level of, of information dissemination that's best done through humor. Uh, and Absolutely. for a lot, a lot of people out there aren't going to read. That's why we have like, honestly, you follow Ar Ar Alan Aragon's research review or mass or like, even that stuff is like, that, most people aren't going to subscribe to that and read that. I mean, you're reaching an audience uh, by making, you know, memes and having a, a humor component to it, but still really holding true to the evidence-based nature and really sticking to the facts and the studies and breaking it down in a way that I think is really beneficial for a lot of people that are on social media not like other not just other fitness professionals who are also reading the studies for people like the layperson on the other end of the screen who's actually going to get some really good information like how did that evolve how did you well yeah it's interesting ecology exactly yeah so initially my like everyone else my i mean my personal page what i post on my page is very separate from everything we do on the training for warriors social media account so everything initially on my own personal page was just personal stuff it was i'm traveling here i'm eating this food here's a picture of my food here's a picture of me in an airport and then it started to become a little bit more educational in terms of because i was doing olympic lifting and i was doing powerlifting, and i was like here's my workouts i'm doing and such whatnot um, and then it started to evolve far more into being the longer captions with citations and the captions and 
taken forever to write because what I felt I needed to do was to write for other fitness professionals, other personal trainers, other gym owners. But so that that's kind of how it started in that I was trying to, I guess in a way it's this kind of trap that a lot of us fall into is that we end up trying to impress our peers rather than to, than to deliver the information in a way that's best suited for the actual end user, the client, for Joe Bloggs, the one who we're trying to get the information to. So it was, it was like many people, it was more of an ego thing. Like, look at me writing these long, super long captions, look at all my citations, look how smart I am. Whereas the person that we're most trying to affect is the person who doesn't need that level of information. So that's when the transition kind of started there. I would write less, there would still be evidence-based. I could still provide citations if I was asked for. However, it was the transition into humor and to memes, which then my personal account started to grow more because I was starting to reach people that could relate to it far easy and they could understand the information much easier. So that's kind of the, the sh shortened span of what happened with the page over a period of time is that, yeah, eventually, rather than trying to write for a peer or another trainer, I just figured, how can I present this information that one of my brothers can understand? Or how can I pre present this information that one of my previous clients would most be able to absorb it? Yeah, I don't even think it's, I don't think it's just would be able to absorb it. I think it's almost better than that. It's almost like would enjoy absorbing it. You know, it's like, yes, they can understand it, but would they actually seek out that information? Would they find it funny? Would they come back? Would they enjoy learning? So I think that that humor adds an element of fun um, for sure. And I think you said something super smart there where you were like, it got to the point where I felt like I was writing content for other fitness professionals, but like you have this business that's probably built around helping regular people and there's that gap. And that is certainly something that I try and do my content. Every time I write it, I'm like, who, who's, who's reading this? What are they taking away from it? And the best thing that for me, and we have different styles of content, the best thing that I can get as far as like a comment or something is like, oh my God, you're in my head or like you're reading my mind. And so for me, from like a coaching perspective, like it's important that I remind myself, who am I writing this for? And I catch myself all the time, like just intellectually jerking off to myself about like, yeah, this is, you know, citations and, and, and long, longer form content. And I, and I realize that I'm getting a bunch of DMs and everybody's name is like something, something fit and like something, something CPT. Yeah. And like These people aren't hiring me. And it's not even, maybe they will hire me. I have some, oh, geez. I have a, I have some coaches on my roster, but that's not why I'm in this business. Like we're both here to like help the mass well, it's, people. It's interesting. You said, because it's a double-edged sword in terms of the coaching perspective, other trainers typically aren't going to be your, your client. So you have to write from a coaching perspective to your ideal client. Yeah. However, the double-edged sword is if there's lots of other fitness professionals in terms of, uh, from a business perspective, you're going to get far more traction and growth and shares and engagement from other fitness professionals. If you write geared towards fitness professionals, I've certainly found that the more, the more of my content, which is kind of geared towards fitness professionals is going to get a lot more shares, comments, engagements, liked by fitness professionals, which inherently helps grow my page. So from a business perspective, there's still value to it. And then from a coaching perspective in terms of directly delivering information to the end user, yeah. it's maybe not ideal for them. Yeah, so yeah. you might get as equal as many shares when you write or, you know, in the similar situation for me when I'm writing for the the ultimate end user, but those people aren't the people with, you know, thousands and thousands of followers. Cause they're, they're it, the Instagram is not part of their job. It's a mom and pop Instagram. And so they might share it, right. but like, yeah, you're right. That's not going to return. The return on that isn't going to be as large. That's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Very cool.
So let the want to transition here. So obviously I have you on here because I think you're funny, dude. And I also think you're super smart, dude. And I think that you do a good job actually being evidence-based. There's so many fucking troll accounts. And those those troll meme accounts, they might also be smart dudes. But if you ask them for a PubMed article or a fucking real study, like you're not going to get anything from them. They're going to go silent. And so I like that you're actually like, hey, I can joke around. I can bullshit. I can come and I control your page and I can. But if you need backup, if we need studies, like I got you. And so there's something there that I think is super unique. And and, and also, I think that you're also not afraid to kind of kick some fucking rocks around and, you know, not piss people off with the intent of pissing people off. But you're not afraid to jump in there with big names and say, hey, I can hang with the big boys. And if you say something fucking dumb, I'm calling you out on it. And I love that. And I, I don't know if it's a Scottish thing, um, but definitely not <laughs> afraid to, like, get in there and, and ruffle some feathers, which is good. And not, not for the sake of ruffling feathers, but for the sake of ultimately and jb and i actually a mutual friend of ours if you guys haven't listened to the podcast with jb and rosario we talk about the point of arguing and the point of arguing is to get closer to the truth and you find a lot of people are are arguing to win um and i don't find that that's the case with you i feel like if you're arguing with somebody the point is you know let's let's actually get to the bottom of this all of that to say i feel like you have some very strong opinions um a lot of those opinions are obviously rooted in the evidence and so one of the things i wanted to talk about today with you is unpopular opinions or bold statements that you know we're either going to wholly agree with or we can kind of pick apart and maybe if you, yeah. if you don't even believe it in 100 percent, it still can be a good talking point so maybe i thought we could go back and forth if you wanted to start and then we can kind of pick it apart sure well this isn't this is these a lot of these are more so um opinions i have in terms of observations i've seen in the in the fitness yeah, industry same. nutrition industry so a lot of these might not even particularly be evidence-based topics. However, like I said, they're observations. So yes, for same. me, one thing I found that I think is massively overrated, this is going to be controversial. Might get some hate mail for this. Well, two things. Two things I think are massively over overrated are bacon and peanut butter. <laughs> in terms of <laughs> the glorification of fats and protein in the fitness industry, that you know more fat more protein is better than everything but these two in particular seem to be labeled health foods and like labeled magical like things you can just eat eat more fat to burn fat type thing with bacon and then the peanut butter as being this this, this uh mystical protein source but <laughs> both of them i find in the fitness industry they do this job of like um making these two these two foods far more glorious than they are. Um, and I think it can lead to a very unhealthy relationship with food uh, and impact more than just your ability to control your body weight when people are like bacon, peanut butter, because calorie for calorie, both are like trash sources of protein. Um, and like me personally, like I'd rather have a steak than bacon 10 times out of 10. Yeah, I think, I think peanut butter as a protein source is a fucking awesome one. Um, overrated unpopular opinion gonna ruffle feathers but yeah i think that peanut butter and bacon too by the way if and if nobody yes your bacon is is technically a meat and technically like well, as a protein source technically it's, so a, it's technically not a protein source by no, actual like, by calorie it's, right it's like uh, like 40 fat or something yeah yeah so i think people are oh, bacon is protein your your bacon's like yeah i think it's like 70 percent fat by calorie um, right and so and, and and what is what's peanut butter six six grams of protein per 160 calories or something like per serving per tablespoon yeah. um 
Yeah, some, it's you something have to ludicrous. Consume, you have to consume a shitload of calories to get a decent amount of protein. Yeah, and I think that that's... With both of these, that's why I find, think they're overrated. I, I think we need to do a good job of like, there's things that are, there are certain foods that are almost entirely one thing. And then there are foods that like, you know, imagine like a Venn diagram, like there are foods that are most of one thing and some of another, you know, a bean is mostly a carb, has some protein, a fat, exactly. a peanut butter is mostly, mostly a fat, a has fat. some protein, right? And so I think that that's, we can't just throw it in one bucket. And if we're going to throw it in a bucket, throw it in the bucket of what it mostly is. Don't tell me bean is a protein source. Don't tell me peanut butter is a protein source. Like it has protein. It yeah. is not protein. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. The one, uh, and I, I don't want to hear your opinion on this as well. One that I had was an unpopular opinion that said, again, also might hate. Every time I wrote one of these, I was like, I'm going to get hate mail. And it's 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 almost because I, in my gut, I feel that they are true. But if I were stating this like with more context, I probably would put it a little bit, uh, put it a little differently. But your addiction to your workouts being fun is preventing you from peak progress. Um, huh. And kind of the reasoning behind that would be just just there like i i heard on um it might have been the revive stronger podcast and it was mike isertel and steve hall talking and they were like people are like oh it's all personal preference you know you should do what you love do what you love and first of all i agree i'm not an exercise elitist you should do what you like but if you knew that what you were doing that you really wanted because it was fun let's say you don't want to do strength and hypertrophy work you want to do hit training and boot camp like because you think it's fun. But if you knew that you were making a big trade-off in terms of the actual strength and, and muscle gain, let's say that you actually do want, would it still be your personal preference? Wouldn't progress be your, your personal preference? Have you seen that with like, I'm not sure, what is the clientele that you're currently working with? Well, for training for warriors, our, our population is predominantly 30 to 60 year olds who have maybe never entered into any type of exercise before. So it's like general population, that you know are starting maybe for the first time or they've done stuff in the past and they've failed so the the type of thing they're looking to achieve most importantly is some yeah yes it has to be something they enjoy otherwise they're not going to be True. stick to Agreed. and consistency is the key but i think what you can still have enjoyable workouts and i think the biggest mistake a lot of people make is the difference between a workout and training because you can go into a bunch of workouts and they could be completely unrelated to each other and you could end up having a lot of fun but making zero progress because the training program is what's designed to make progress and there's no way and there's there's no reason you can't have a a, a, a well-designed training program that is fun and enjoyable that you can stick to yeah yeah agreed and again i think we both work with very uh, gen pop clientele and i know that when i make a program Yes, I have probably asked the person what they're looking for, and that's going to be my North Star. But I definitely know that there's a fun, like the base of the pyramid is fun. I just think that there's a communication gap where people are like, hey, like, I understand that you want is fun. And what might be fun to you might be X. But I'm just letting you know that what you said you wanted, which was, you know, whatever. You want to be more toned. You want to be stronger. You want to deadlift two times your body weight. Like, like those those uh, every time you take one step towards fun, you might be taking one step away from those goals. And that's not to say you can't do things that are fun. Like you said, you can, uh, and you can have a well-designed training program that has fun incorporated into it. So I agree. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a fine line, but one that I wish people understood that at some point, at, maybe again, mostly at like the peak, if you're looking at people who have relatively ambitious goals, that they are divergent goals. Mm -hmm. Well, to, to follow up on that in terms of training specifically for or exercise specific for a goal in terms of something overrated my next one kind of follows on neatly to that 
is cardio for fat loss yeah or specifically exercise for burning calories like it's still i don't want this this is still like nearly nearly 20 years i've been in in the industry and it's still been it's the same that i guarantee you go into a gym in january that's open with covid restrictions there's going to be every so every single treadmill is going to be filled with people doing cardio for fat loss or doing exercise to burn calories i remember when i had a gym when i first opened the number one complaint i got around the holiday periods especially not New enough Year's, treadmills we don't have there's not enough treadmills yeah. and i and, <laughs> and it was crazy to me um but yeah for me it's still this lingering myth that not only i mean you could go deep into the fasted cardio but cardio in general people still seem to prioritize as a goal for fat loss and exercise specifically for burning calories um and yeah i'm, I'm not anti-cardio at all because cardio for health for fitness for enjoyment that is massively underrated in terms of the reasons you should be doing cardio whereas what's massively overrated are all these reasons people decide they need to do cardio is to burn calories and for fat loss yeah so when you had when you were telling kind of your story of owning the gym back in scotland and then kind of realizing that that's not what it it wasn't what you thought it was is exactly my current situation where i i have owned a gym up until the the like a month before covid um whatever, let's not get too deep into it. But I no right. longer am a part of that. And it was mostly because it wasn't what I thought it would be. I was doing a lot of things that were not uh, like coaching related and fitness related and working with people related. And I thought that personal trainer, personal trainer, better personal trainer. And the next step is like, okay, you own a gym. And it yeah. was like, that wasn't, that is not a step up. It's a totally different job now. Um, yeah, you're a janitor. Yeah, and you're you're doing a bookkeeper. And so, yeah. um, HR, you've gone HR. Exactly. I'm HR and I'm an accountant now. And uh, the, yep. the segue to kind of what you had just said is our gym only had four treadmills. Uh, and that was it. And so I remember us being like a little freaked out because it's not a big space. And when we were putting together the floor plan, we were like, fuck, man, like we, we're either going to get a like a cable machine or another squat rack or like three more treadmills. And I was like, I'm not getting three more treadmills. Like, and so that community having that, uh, that that discussion with people around fat loss for uh, cardio for fat loss was one that we had to have all the time. People were like, we're all the treadmills. We're like, you get you get your ass in the fucking squat rack and we're going to do some real work. Um, yeah, I think that that it, again, like with every myth there are grains of truth. Like with every myth, yeah. it wasn't born out of fucking thin air. It wasn't born because people are liars. Like cardio yeah. burns calories. How do you lose fat? You get into a calorie deficit. You burn more than you eat. Um, but it's like you said, it's not something that, and again, we can, I want to kind of define overrated, underrated. It's not that these things are are terrible and it's not that they are doing, they're, they're counterintuitive. It's not that they're going backwards. It's not like you're doing the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. It's just your hierarchy of importance is is messed up to a point where you're not actually putting all your eggs in something that's going to give you a big return. Um, and so, yeah, cardio for fat loss. I, I get called out anti-cardio all the time. I just want to rewrite your hierarchy of importance, calories, protein, weightlifting, sleeping, you know, stress management. Sure. If you have, ex you know, get your steps in, if you have extra time. And like you said, if you like it, if it's fun, it's good for your mental health. If it gets you outside, it's good for your heart. It's good for literally, I mean, it's good for literally biomarkers across the board. The point is to not burn calories, though. Yeah. 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 And, and in that vein, to take it like a step further, I think hit massively overrated, list massively. On my, 
that's that's on my yeah. list. Break break it down. So why would so I another question I get all the time is like should I do hit or list for car for for fat loss or during a fat loss phase or should I do them? Which one should I do I at think, all? Like how would you? Yeah, answer? I think this one this one's more for me the um, people's association between being uncomfortable, feeling like hard work is more beneficial. That's this. Not that I'm saying, I mean, hit in certain circumstances in terms of like we have sprint training in the training for warriors program. We use metabolic conditioning. We use different types of, uh, we implement different types of hit training in all of our programming. But I think it's more the, the issue with this, this kind of infatuation with you need to be destroyed in the gym for it to be beneficial. And there's eventually these workouts are just going to add up in terms of potential fatigue. for injury yeah. in terms of fatigue exactly in terms of the quality of the workouts because you just can't do them consistently and that's why i also think list is so underrated because it is something you can go out and walk for an hour you can go out and ride a bike or sit on a stationary bike in the gym whatever you want to do for longer periods of time and you can do it consistently and i think it's extremely underrated in terms of a tool yeah it, it is the fact that there is this perception uh, that difficulty and huffing and puffing and sweating is somehow exponentially greater than doing a similar amount of work across a longer period of time with a lower level of intensity. Um, yeah. I, I will, I will say this on the record right now, hit is like the, the superset of cardio. It's a good stimulus to time ratio that, so you get a lot of calories burned. You get a lot of work done in less time. Like that is yeah. the benefit of doing hit. And if you have 12 minutes at the end of your workout, cause you got to go and you're like, should I walk for 12 minutes? Or can I do a little bit of hit? Like go nuts, do a little bit of a hit. You have less time and you're allowed to do a little bit more work, but there is nothing special about it. It is something that is, should be something where it's either. Well, it's, because interesting as well. it's interesting as well per unit of time. It's the calorie expenditure is almost the same. Right, because of the because of the the interval portion of it. Right, exactly. exactly. Yes, no, that's very true. Um, yeah, you know what though? You know I, what though? Autophagy also, though. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, and then there's also this whole like um, the reason why people will do hit is because they'll say afterburn effect. God. Right, because, and that that's kind of another massively. I said overrated. that for years when I was a young yeah. a decade ago. I used to tell people that all the time. They think that if you work out excessively harder, your afterburn effect from hit cardio is going to be far great and it's it's almost like i mean it's almost none i mean it's a negligible yeah. amount i don't want to put a number on it for god forbid we misspeak here but it's it's a it's negligible amount <laughs> yeah it's almost nothing and then when you yeah. factor in potential uh, and again these are all very potential not 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 uh straight up 100 percent terms here but you factor in a potential compensation effect of like working really yeah. fucking hard at one part of your day and potentially compensating with lower need it's elsewhere for the rest of the yeah, yeah, and I, you also said that the something that's important is like list is also just nine times out of ten more accessible for everyone. And so when someone's like, "Should I do hit or list?" and I'm like, "Okay, well, do you like hit?" They're like, "Well, no, I like them both the same." I'm like, "Okay, well, can you do hit?" And they're like, "No, I don't have a treadmill or a bike. I don't really like running." And I'm like, "Well, go the fuck outside and walk." Like it's so accessible for everyone. And the problem is that, and I think Jordan Science talks about this literally all the time. Is something I love that he says like, like walking is seen as something that's useless and so it's not done and if people just yeah. fucking shout from the rooftops like walking is amazing for literally everything mental health cardiovascular health anti-diabetic anti-hypertensive like literally everything like 
do more people would do it and there'd be a lot more healthy people people are probably sitting here at home thinking oh, i don't have a treadmill i can't run fuck this i'm gonna do nothing it's like you can walk i mean it's amazing yeah. amazingly beneficial well as someone has had a partial knee replacement and another one on the way i can say i think running is massively overrated and i don't recommend it because my surgeon told me to. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny You're like, every pt in the world i used to work in a gym where there was a physical therapy office on the physical therapy uh, wall were like some studies that said like running uh, improved longevity and it was my first I maybe it was 19 years old 18 19 years old my first run-in with the correlation doesn't imply causation moment right. of think looking thinking to myself and they were like they took people who some bullshit study they took people who ran and people who didn't run and they're like the people who run lived longer and I'm like yeah, but you know, those probably are just healthier people in general. Like if somebody's running, there's probably also like not smoking, like not, you know, eating as much fast food. Like and they, the guy who ran the PT office is like, no, 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 it's a legit study. I'm like, it's a legit study because people who run all the time probably come and see you every fucking week. Yeah, and exactly. And hips, like, yeah, so that's that, fair. That's exactly what my surgeon said. He was like, runners keep him in business, man. They were like, yeah. runners make me rich. That's yeah. exact words from my surgeon. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw out another yeah. one that we can kind of break down here is, uh, maintaining a healthy body weight or body composition is the most powerful singular singular thing you can do for your health um and as i was saying it as i was writing it i was like do i believe that and i was like could i think of maybe not smoking um would be the second one but it would be it would it might be close and i think that 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 does yes people would be like oh so you're saying you know being being lighter and, and losing fat and being uh, uh, smaller is 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 the only important thing but i probably think it's the most important thing the most singular thing i'm not saying you throw everything else in the garbage of course not but if you had to pick one say, okay maintaining body weight or body composition yeah so i wrote slash i think body composition right. probably um would have right. to be the one i would choose yeah over a consistent period of time yeah over a consistent period yeah. of time yeah and so it's like if you had to that's why people are like if i'm going to track something what should i track it's like well outside of the fact that you should be lifting to improve body composition it's like calories really do over the long term probably have the single greatest like impact as one in as one single variable um on your health and that, that doesn't not just throw out everything else out but that was like i was thinking like what's a bold statement that we can kind of like it almost makes me cringe because i know that there's going to be people out there's like oh he's saying that you know this is the only thing that matters it's not but you're I just again it goes back to this misallocation of resources this hierarchy that's off you might be somebody who's focusing a lot on sorry my dog's right behind me playing with the toy it's all good uh you might be focused a lot on like i really need to get i need to reduce my saturated fat intake or i need to really reduce my sugar intake i really got to start looking at like without actually kind of looking at calories which might actually on the whole have a, a larger impact than any of these individual nutrients yeah, I think I think over time is there's you can probably look at someone and, and, and say you can you can tell their how healthful they are based on the consistency of their body weight for sure. Um I think it's natural for everyone I'm well outside of the fitness industry, it's still very natural for people to whose body weight to change constantly, often up ten pounds, down ten pounds. Myself especially, I used to compete in weightlifting it. 70 uh, under 75 kilos and then when i transitioned into powerlifting i was competing at 83 kilos and then i, I when i but prior to all of that in university i was like over, well over 100 kilos so body weight's gonna have 
is going to change all the time for sure. But I think when you, if you look at people that maintain a consistent body weight over a long period of time, they, I assume most likely they're going to have uh, very good levels of health and health markers and biomarkers and whatnot, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that there's obviously way more to health, but I think if you were to just, and I don't want to be myopic about it. I don't want to be reductionist about it. I don't want to make it about one thing. Just thinking like when you're thinking about the things that you're going to do for your health, like a controlling calorie intake might be up there with like one of the most important things. Obviously exercise would be independently something that's beneficial regardless, but, um, and not smoking. I feel like if you exercise, maintain a relatively healthy body composition and, and, and don't smoke, I feel like you're, you're 95% of the way there. Yeah. hundred percent for sure. Cool. 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 Um, let's do a little bit, let's do a little bit of a little rapid fire overrated, underrated. I know we slipped a couple in there and there were two on here that, uh, I'm, I'm going to delete because we kind of just talked about it. But let's start okay. with fasted cardio. Overrated, underrated, and why? I think it's, I think it's overrated in terms of the perceived benefit ratio to, to fed cardio in terms of it burns more fat. That's, mass, that's a myth that's massively overrated. I think it's underrated in terms of convenience. Like Love that. I used to – I used – to, um, my first client in the morning used to be like six o'clock in the morning. So I would get up, jump on my bike and I would cycle to work. Um, and I, I didn't wake up and have breakfast before I did that. So I think in terms of your timing of when you eat is, um, very much your personal preference when you eat. So like, and if you only have a certain amount of time to train, if you want to wake up and train first thing in the morning, you don't, you shouldn't, and if you don't want to eat, then it's it's definitely underrated in terms of convenience, in terms of getting it done versus not getting it done. If you were to say, oh, I don't want to do fasted cardio, but it's certainly overrated in terms of being superior. That might actually be something that we, as we fitness slash social media, like beats to a dead horse where people might actually, might actually push people away from doing it because they're like, oh, it's bad or you know, they might just misread that we're, we're, what we're actually saying is that it's not special, but convenience-wise, it might be freaking awesome, and it might be exactly what works best for you. And so I, sometimes, yeah, I, tra I trained fasted for years just because it was convenient. Yeah, and, and, then, and then is it more optimal in terms of building strength and muscle? Probably not, but it's better than not training. Totally. So this is a this is a question I'll get all the time. People, will, I'll write them a four-day program, and they're like, "How should I split it up across the week?" And I'm like okay, the worst option would be doing all four days in a row. But if you did all four days in a row and you got 200 workouts a year and you did that for 10 years and you you take that person and you compare them to the person who split it up perfectly, two on, one off, two on, two off, extrapolate <laughs> that out 10 years, like you're the same person. And so uh, it's one of those things where like if you, if it's conveniency is going to be that like base of the pyramid, most important thing. So if you can get it done, then get it done. All right, next one. Um, bringing your protein shake to the gym oh so you don't miss the anabolic window again i think this is uh i mean it's overrated in terms of the anabolic window you have to hit your leucine threshold within 30 minutes of finishing the last set that's overrated for sure but underrated again in terms of convenience in terms of hitting your daily protein target if it's more convenient for you to have a shake before you jump in the shower before you go back to work because you've only got an hour at yeah. lunchtime it's yeah under underrated in terms of convenience again and personal preference overrated in terms of some kind of super anabolic like special maneuver totally i love that you said that because i thought that when i wrote it i was like this is one that's both because it's certainly underrated as something that's unique it's certainly underrated that 
the protein shake itself is is overly unique or bring having it on your right after the workout is overly unique and like even like protein shakes themselves i mean we obviously sure could get into like they're supplements both under and overrated yeah yeah protein, i mean it's it's filtered milk man it's yeah. just convenient it's yeah. just a good source of protein it's super convenient to help you hit your goals there's nothing magical about a sure. protein shake, totally you know? um and and it's funny is like people, I'll have clients who do that. They're like in very religious about bringing the protein shake to the gym, having it right after the workout. And it's like, there are some times where telling that person that, you know, they don't have to do that. And that it's just like, no, not special is actually counterproductive because For sure, because they have a routine, they have, a routine habit. they have it stack, right? They're like, okay, this is what I do after the gym. I have this 30 grams and the, the, man, you work with regular people, like getting people close to that 0.8 grams per pound or one gram per pound of lean body mass. Like it's hard enough. Like if you don't it's tell them, don't shit. Getting yeah. into it consistently. Totally. So and so have a habit that they're, they're happy to yep. follow. It's, it's, Just leave it alone. Way. Yeah. Yeah. That's one. And I want to kind of, we're going to circle right back to BCAAs now. So like, I'm going to ask you BCAAs, same question, overrated, underrated. BCAAs are the biggest scam in the fitness industry over the last 20 years. It's the most expensive way to flavor your war. Like, yeah. And I feel it's actually not even taste good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the weirdest flavors. This is one of those things that I have a personal issue with. Cause I was one of those people who while for years when training fasted spent X amount of money on extend salvation bcas for years i i gave them money thinking because i'm training fasted i should take these bcas that it's a sore point in my in my life of the amount of money i spent on shitty supplements like bcas so yeah the bcas are just massively massively overrated and then when you when people then give you the argument about what if i'm vegan or vegetarian i say well consume a vegan or vegetarian protein source has a complete amino acid profile it's simple it's not even an argument the, the amount of data we have on bcas like literally being useless is stacking it's, up it's piling yeah, up yeah it's ridiculous that these that i'm surprised that some big i mean it's free money for all these companies basically but I i'm surprised that too. That, yeah you know, but also, I feel like what a lot of people, they've just fallen into a habit and a routine. And, they, and then this is just something they do now. It's just, and it's, yeah, unfortunate. And pe again, if people say, yeah, but I like to train fasted or I'm fasting or I purposely fast. Well, you're not anymore if you're consuming BCAs anyway, because they contain calories. So if you're not, if you're going to break your fast anyway, you might as well break it with a complete protein source yep. and have a protein shake. It's going to be far more. Beneficial. Yeah. Is, you're so. doing the same thing. It's not like we're asking, it's not like you're saying like, okay, don't have this BCAs, do something totally different. It's like literally take a scoop and put powder in water, shake it up and drink it. It's the fucking exact same thing. And so it's not like we're asking somebody to do something totally different. It's like when compared with whey protein, like it will outperform it in every way, not just whey protein, a vegan protein source, totally fine. Uh, some complete amino acid profile. Um, it's not like you're doing something different. Stop. And it's not like it's more, more expensive. The protein's what? A dollar to a dollar fifty per serving. Same thing with your BCAAs. Like take that scooper, just yeah. change it from the extend over to some complete protein source and you have a winner for sure. Yeah. Um, the one thing that the one thing that I've heard before that again I've said and it was kind of similar to the protein shaking is like Doms? Yeah, we're going to talk about Doms in a second because that's actually one of the, the I'll get a, I'll get like a 2006 Lane Norton paper like every time I'll, I'll I shit on it and I'm like I know I've read the paper and there's a and, and you want the biggest you want the biggest uh, example piece of evidence that BCAs doesn't work 
ask go, go look at lay norton's most recent supplement line doesn't have bcaas in it and so like you have, here's your biggest bcaa advocate you, know, you drop a bio lane article and you think okay this is it i got it dom's like he has a supplement company that he just launched doesn't have bcaas so and he actually just talked about why not in a in a, in a recent video but what i was gonna say i'm gonna ask you about the dom situation um we're gonna put a pin in that it's like if it's somebody who like they feel good they put their beans. yeah, yeah and, and you know what i would i would still kind of say hey a, a whey protein shake do the same thing it's gonna be it's just the same but better but if they're already hitting their protein and it's like they get on the treadmill and they're like sipping their bcas and they're feeling good about it and it's got this positive placebo effect positive reinforcement it's People like real man yeah yeah placebo is the best supplement there is and again if they're not hitting their protein then now we're now we're like stepping over hundreds to pick up pennies and they should do yeah. that instead but um but yeah 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 definitely and what okay so again it, down, again it comes down to like habits and routine if it's part of someone's routine to mix up this bca on the way to the gym and they sip on it during their workout so be it as you said if they're hitting their protein but if they're sacrificing a complete protein source for bcas and they're not hitting at a optimal or adequate protein intake then it's going to be a little bit more of an issue but i think yeah over a period of years it's like it comes down to that's your money you spend it on you spend on whatever you want to spend it on dude yeah. so tell me what you would say to somebody who's saying okay i've heard that it's going to reduce doms see for, for this i don't see why so if if the argument is a branch chain amino acid is going to re reduce doms then surely any complete protein source will have the same effect so again it comes down to daily protein intake adequate optimal have protein pre and post workout for for that reason and, and reduce doms but i don't think i think after a period of time as well the the doms are going to subside anyway as you improve training quality and training consistency so yeah i don't think that study with that they that they quote was protein controlled by the way and so i think that it's, yeah, it didn't have a, a complete protein process right. right yeah and so there was no i mean there was again there was no comparison it was amino acids or nothing and i don't i also don't think it was controlled for protein so this could have been somebody who's having in, inadequate protein and a bcas versus somebody who's having inadequate protein like that's not probably not real life applicable um yeah but yeah yeah for sure um and and it will always be that a, a whey protein or a complete protein complete amino acid profile will just outperform it and it's okay if somebody hears that and they're like okay that's fine like but i'm still gonna do this whatever i mean that you're taking you know you have all the information now so you can go and do whatever yeah, you exactly. Yeah. exactly yeah um i also it, i'm gonna go down this vein just selfishly because it's a conversation i always like this idea and i talk about i talked about this in, the, in a couple podcasts ago this idea that you're taking something to reduce your doms is in and of itself a weird line of thinking that it never really made sense to me. Like like the things that people take to reduce DOMS, Advil, they do an ice bath, or let's say literally anything, just the idea of you're trying to reduce DOMS, like are you also maybe reducing the adaptive potential yeah. of those workouts? I mean, well, anti-inflammatory. Certainly cold therapy, post-workout has been shown to reduce. Yeah, and, and Advil, NSAIDs as well, definitely. Yeah, exactly. I think, but like I said, I think with, with DOMS, it's more of a conditioning thing anyway. Yeah. Like if you start something new or change your routine and you have right. different stimulus, you have an effect. So, but after a period of time, once you adapt to that training program, your your conditioning improves and you're going to have less DOMS. So, or if you don't, you're just fucking you're, training too much. Yeah, exactly. Or you're just killing yourself. Yeah. And you're, yeah. you get DOMS if you're taking I mean, something for DOMS, you're either just 
First of all, if you're so sore you need to take something for doms, I don't care if there's a novelty effect. You should have, in an ideal world, reduced volume and intensity to a point where it's still within the soreness continuum of, of optimal. Like, if you're so fucking sore that you need to or feel compelled to take something for doms, like, train less or sleep. If someone is that sore all the time as well, most likely you look at, let's take a look at your sleep habits and your yeah. hydration. Oh my God, Guaranteed. for sure. To, to those two point on point and then everything else kind of just self-writes itself yeah so the person who's sore all the time who's says they're overtraining as well or whatever they're um they're probably not sleeping the best probably not got best um stress management either so yep cool next one here let's talk foam rolling for recovery for recovery this is a. I mean, we a, can branch out into why one might use it, but foam rolling for recovery. I'm sore. I need to foam roll. Uh, I, you know, my back I, I, my to foam roll. personal opinion is it's foam rolling. All foam rolling is basically overrated. Like, that's my personal opinion. And in terms of the weight of the evidence, um, there may be there may be uh, some benefits pre-workout. Like, if you're immediately in terms of incre increasing like acute mobility prior to exercise. But in terms of reducing adhesions or ironing out knots or strength, like lengthening all yeah, these whatever things nebulous that, terms, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all it's yeah. all bullshit. Yeah. I think I think. <laughs> but, but, on, but on that same thing, like if it makes you feel good fuck. and you have time, <laughs> yeah, then knock yourself yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 the problem is people don't have time. You're lying to yourself that you have 15 minutes before the workout to foam roll, and if you do spend that time at the grocery store fucking buying healthier foods shopping in the produce section like spend that time doing something more fruitful pun intended but i think you hit on something just so like for the people that are like okay foam, like p.s everybody listening the word overrated doesn't mean useless sometimes yeah. sometimes it means useless um but in this case formal is not useless it's 99 percent no. of the time useless i think i think overrated yeah we're using it in terms of it's put, being put on a pedestal by sure. marketers in yep. the fitness industry. Yep. For the most part, everything when we're saying overrated is the the promises that marketers have made or fitness influencers have made about said thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that foam rolling has one potential benefit of acutely, of potentially acutely increasing range of motion. Um, and there's also some mixed opinions about whether or not that's a good thing. Like if you're renting yeah. a range of motion that you don't really own and then you're training with heavy loads in that range of motion, like making, you know, there, that that might not always be such a good thing. Um, and so th that's potentially a double-edged sword. I, I have personally found that like, if that is something that does help somebody, like uh, whether it's a thoracic spine or a quad or something that makes them feel better, like even if it's just placebo uh if it's placebo and you have the time fine but there you you rack up all these things that if we rack if we write in the pros column okay placebo effect and if you have the time and you like it now all of a sudden i'm i'm foam rolling i'm doing fasted cardio i'm taking bcaas and and yeah. i've forgotten like the, uh, you have a finite amount of of mental effort finite amount of emotional and physical resources to put forth towards things if i list the things i'm doing and 10 of them are just yeah they feel good and placebo like I probably don't have all the other boxes checked. Yeah, it's it's majoring in minutia. Yeah, exactly. 100%. We're trying to become experts at the small stuff without having any type of base or foundation in place first. So totally. So I want to move on to our last topic here. We're coming up on an hour, and I wanted to ask you, as somebody who has not been shy to step into the light with some big names who have said some fucking dumb stuff, 
give me some of your favorite fitness, uh, favorite offenders of science when it comes to nutrition and fitness. Well, to be topical and relevant and what's going on right now, our, everyone's favorite is Jillian, Jillian Michaels currently. <laughs> she's, uh, she's certainly stepped in it yeah. a lot. I mean, she's been, let's be honest, she's been like, uh, she's been not purveyor of nonsense for years going way back to way back to her yelling at fat people and yep. fat shaming days yep. like but if, everything from like squatting on bosu balls and all of her diet recommendations for a long time it's just she's popular because she's a celebrity that was on tv yep. and and more recently now these uh claims about the how deadly protein intake is is uh, it reminds me of the uh, that Tim Noakes quote when he said on the Sigma Nutrition podcast, he said, if you oh, eat yeah. 5% of protein, you will die. You will die. Yeah, yeah. You I remember Martin McDonald. Yeah. In that same yeah. vein, yeah. if you eat too much protein, your bones, will literally, yeah. bones will literally dissolve and you'll have every cancer ever known all at the same time, probably. Yeah. So she's, she's certainly one. It's, um... Let let's stick with that for one second because actually I think that the the like in that obviously there's like uh, you had put out just an absolutely wonderful meme on it that I you had kind of pulled the idea from Alan Aragon where it was like yeah. if you replaced the title with that video and it just said all the fitness all the uh, protein myths of the last twenty years and then let her start talking those are all the protein yeah. myths that have been debunked in the last you know twenty years this is really crazy you know, man. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's bad that someone in that position who also claims to have experts on her podcast to discuss these things. She's still, she has been led down this yeah, path of maybe, information though. herself. Maybe. And because some other expert has told her she's taken it, she's yeah. decided not to question their source of sure. information, yeah. which is, I think is one of the biggest thing in the evidence-based community. The most important thing is to, is to question everything, whatever claim anyone makes. If I make it, if lane norton makes it if you make it julian michaels if whoever makes a claim is you have the right to be like to question it like and i think she's just fallen down this path of assuming credentials well assuming the information from people with connect credentials is accurate and then she's just done the worst thing is to then perpetuate the misinformation to millions more people because she has a big following so yeah that's kind of the same it's a pretty nice way of putting it honestly and i'm not saying you relieve her of all personal responsibility of course not because she it's her responsibility to vet these 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 uh professionals and and such um but i also think i i don't know i think that there's some level of of polarizing information that just freaking sells like if i look to my left at this at at my bookshelf right here and and i have all i have many uh charlatan's books just because i think exposing myself to the garbage and and understanding just being able to practice picking stuff apart myself obesity code all this crap we could talk about you know fun in a second but like um is it's important to practice i just don't i just don't understand like you know what you're doing you know that these are polarizing statements you know that they're counter to a lot of the information out there she's been in the industry for a long time what do you think she hasn't known what the the basic nutrition guidelines are in the or protein guidelines are within the fitness uh, uh space like you what you're saying is rocking the world and then beyond that you're using a percentage of total calories which is a very poor proxy not very poor but it's a it is a suboptimal proxy for pro, uh, representation of protein which is very yeah. more commonly and more applicably and more helpfully 
uh, utilized as a like per gram gram per per lean body mass or gram per pound or gram per kilo or whatever country you're in. So there's just so much wrong with that. And just I want to I want to think that, like you said, that she's been gone down this black hole and she's listening to too much Ben Greenfield and all this other stuff and uh and all of a sudden she's not that Ben's anti-protein. I just mean like she's she's consuming so much content without vetting it that then she's now you know it's, it's, regurgitating it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe she's just I don't know what her actual education is. So yeah. let me give her some credit that she had a doctor on who's given her some misinformation she's taken that as gold information she shared it which you know is like for example the same thing happened recently with like sylvester stallone sharing medical mediums information oh, jesus now, this guy's literally a charlatan yeah. he gets all this medical information from a ghost and <laughs> then shares it and then you have someone like <laughs> sylvester stallone with even more millions of followers then sharing that information with people it's just it's almost impossible to try and keep track of like where all this crap comes from. It's, but when it's you have people like, just exactly, it's, it's, it's kind of a never ending uphill battle and, until all the, the big pages, the big celebrities with the millions of followers start sharing accurate information, but it's not sexy. And like you said, it's not polarizing and polarizing is better for marketing and marketing sells more books. If you yeah. tell people calories don't count, you need to fast Jason Fung. Then it's then you're gonna sell more books because people have been they think there's a there's a secret they've not been told, and that's the that's where the, the polarization comes from. Yeah, let's talk about Fung for a second. So Jason Fung, for all of you guys who know, wrote the Obesity Code, which more or less states that calories don't matter and it's just fasting is exactly the only thing that you can do to lose weight. And I don't know if this is embarrassing to to admit on air, but I think it was 2009 or 10, so I was 19 or 20. I went to a conference somewhere in Toronto. I don't even remember what it was called. And I saw Fung speak. Um, and he must not have been who he was now, but he was already 2009, 2010, somewhere around then. Um, and he spoke. And I remember being just a young sponge. And I was like, wow, I'm going to take this back to my client. He showed me how leptin and ghrelin levels have like a, a, a rhythm to them. And if you don't eat it, the hunger just goes away. And I was like, oh my God, this is what I have to be doing. And like, there's something to be said about just not, knowing that it's bullshit well, it's, being it's, polarizing someone is on stage they get instant authority yeah. someone is on has been asked to speak on a stage and especially if you're paying to attend that that's obviously you saying well i'm paying to attend this so obviously these people i'm paying for so furiously are taking notes you know like that exactly so it's these people get given authority because they get given the stage and then obviously it's the same thing with follower account you get people like mark hyman yeah so hyman was the third one i would love to talk about hyman berg yeah berg oh brutal they're all these people that like medical media himself these people that have just amassed these massive followings by i don't know if it's purposely sharing misinformation so the well at least purposely being polarizing for sure yes, 100%. These big followings and now because they have big followings it attracts more people to follow them on their misinformation because they're deemed authoritative figures because they're they have credentials they're doctors even though it's not in a related field at all at all and they've got blue check marks so yeah. they're getting instagram's giving them verification yeah. so again that's just credibility that a lot of other people don't have so i remember having an argument with another doctor about Fung's work and about fasting and about the studies he presented and the argument the other doctor made was you seem very interested in in medicine maybe you should do a med medical degree and get a, your medical degree like myself and dr Fung. that was his counter argument it was like you're not a doctor yeah. so 
that I'm like, I didn't say I wasn't talkative, yeah. but we can have a debate about information. But sure. that's kind of the way it goes is credentials. Even if you're a chiropractor and you have zero education on nutrition, it seems that you have more credence. right. Yeah. yeah, more credence to discuss nutrition than someone that doesn't have a doctorate. Yeah. That's kind of the unfortunate situation we're in with social media these days. Yeah. My first introduction with, with Mark Hyman was it's, it was painful mostly because I think that there are, again, sometimes with, we were talking about, you know, uh, uh, overrated and underrated. We were talking about bold statements and a lot of these like myths that have grains of truth. And I think Hyman, like there are oh, grains yeah. of his content that are like half decent, let's say. Not... Was the sugar's eight times more addictive than cocaine. Right. That, and that was kind that of when was... it all started to just go to shit. Yeah. When that, what was the quote exactly? Yeah, it was, that was along those, I can't word for word but it was he cherry picked that rat yes, study the rat study yeah the, the essentially said sugar is eight times more addictive than cocaine yeah that was the conclusion that he quoted completely misinterpreting interpreting the entire so much study. wrong with the, with the interpretation like, of that study yeah like beyond but everyone's like whoa there's a study that proves this do you and remember what they, what they did in the study with the rats yeah it was intravenous uh, cocaine or drink sugar water yeah. and the rats prefer to drink sugar water so no many, shit yeah no shit so many yeah. confounding variables there like <laughs> and that, they chose and that, it eight more times they like had chose to drink the water eight I'll times more often that. like that yeah. extrapolation to sugar is eight times more addictive there's so much triggering yeah. there that yeah. to humans right it's just like the extrapolation there's just out of control and it's like it's a shame because there's parts there's like parts of the content where sometimes where he says it, and I'm like, okay, so I'm like eating, you know, mostly whole nutritious food. Like omega threes are probably good. Like vegetables are good. And I'm like, okay, like some of your content, like I get it. But, but this whole this whole anti sugar movement yes, is now yeah, yeah. fruit, right? Because now we've got like Gundry saying don't eat grapes because they're sugar bombs. Like this, like when you're starting <laughs> to tell about people polarizing fruits. <laughs> because they have sugar and not to eat vegetables because of lectins. It's insane. It's like people are not having issues because they're eating too much fruit and vegetables. I mean, you shouldn't eat and fruit, vegetables, now protein, carbs, fats, yeah, clog your arteries. Exactly. I mean, what are we doing? Were you, were you, are you a brief breath now? Like, are we just... Probably if you, if you breathe too much. You oh, you're fucked. Yeah. The carbon dioxide, you know? It's exactly. Like, you wear your mask. Oh, yeah. Hypoxia. You wear a mask. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> fucked up. Oh man. All right, dude. I want to close it on that note. I loved having yeah. you on, man. You're, you're, you're a great guest and I appreciate it. I know everybody's going to love the episode. Why don't you give everybody uh, a chance to follow you on social media? Where, where can they find you? Uh, all my, my Instagram is kind of where the memes go to live. So that's at my name, TJM Robertson, which is my, my handle on there. Uh, I don't really use f Facebook that much these days, but so Instagram is kind of where it's at. So Thanks, man. And the Scottish accent wasn't nearly as bad. I'm sure there's the only a trying to keep on the control. brief <laughs> translation that will have to happen. Yeah. <laughs> for any problems, yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you guys all in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you enjoyed it, if you found value, do me a favor and take a screenshot of your phone and post it to your social media. If you do, tag me so I can say thanks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at Jordan Lips Fitness on Instagram, or you can email me, jordanlips at jordanlipsfitness.com, or check out the website, jordanlipsfitness.com. I'd love to chat. Have a great day.